Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. Good morning, Oak City Church. Thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, We're glad to be here with you if you're um, new, a special welcome to you. Uh, we would we would love for you, whether you're new or whether you're old, to go to our, our homepage and on the live stream page, there's a connect card. We'd love to get your prayer request and be praying for you throughout the week. If you're brand new, there's a box you can click and we'd love to get you some more information about Oak City Church and kind of give you a digital handshake and welcome you and thank you for being here. Last week, I mentioned that I had pre-recorded and um, so I didn't, I, I was honest, I didn't quite know what I was going to do, if I was going to be able to watch myself. And I did indeed watch myself with my family. And that was just as weird as you would think it would be, but I made it. And it was, felt a little bit narcissistic. And this feels even more narcissistic. I thought that was not bad. I mean, it was pretty good. And you guys felt like that too, because we surveyed you this week. We got a, a bunch of responses to that survey and you rated our live stream at an eight and a half out of 10. Now, those of us that are putting it together would not rate our live stream at an eight and a half out of 10, but we really appreciate your generosity towards us. And I think it has gone well, but we're working to make it better because um, it's, it's going to be a permanent part of, of Oak City Church uh, going forward. There were a few other things uh, in that survey. You, you know, there was a lot of uncertainty about, am I ready to get together with people in their home? And how does that? And so we're, and there, that's just in the church world. There's a lot of uncertainty about that. So we're working through that. Um, and over half of you have invited somebody to the live stream um, that's not a regular Oak City Church person. So way to go. We can still reach our neighbors and help them know and follow Jesus, even in the midst of the coronavirus, or maybe especially in the midst of the coronavirus. And that's a little bit of where this next series is headed. Uh, Two years ago, we did a series called Explore God, and that was responding to basic questions that everybody has, but particularly our culture right now, about uh, the Christian faith. And we did that with a group of churches. And that's a large part of the reason we did it is because a group of churches in town were doing it. And I'm always for churches working together because I think Jesus is always for churches working together. I routinely get emails inviting me to meetings with pastors in town. And honestly, these always feel like the last thing I should be doing with my time uh, just because there's a lot to do, you know, and so we go hang out and because it's hard for churches to work together. It's hard enough to get your church to work the way you want your church to work. It's, it's even harder to get other churches, like all of them working together, but I'll go and, and it'll at a minimum be encouraging to be around other pastors. And I'm wor- it's worth putting the effort in to figure out how can we work together better as the church, because that's what Jesus wants for his church. So about six months ago, uh, a group of churches decided to do this series called The Art of Neighboring. And it's something that churches, uh, a number of churches, uh, the, the same Explore God group across the country, they've done this in different cities. And and, and so if a, if a whole group of Christians can figure out how to be better neighbors en masse, that's going to help our community out. So I decided, yeah, this is something we want to do as a church. Now, some churches have pivoted and they're not doing that because of what we're going through right now. I thought because of what we're going through right now, it's a perfect time to talk about being a good neighbor. Because in the last two months, you have probably seen, maybe not 
actually talked to, but seen your neighbors more than you've seen them in the, in the previous two years. You know, uh, you've seen them working on their yard. People's yards look better than they've ever looked. You've seen them messing around with stuff in their garage. If, if you're in a neighborhood where people have garages, you've seen people, I've seen people walking through our neighborhood that I'm like, you don't live here. Cause I've, we've lived there for like eight years. I've never seen you before. And maybe people are just hold up in their house all the time. And now they're coming out. And so you've seen them, but maybe not interacted with them, but it's a great time to talk about, um, what it means to be a good neighbor. And, and this is for us as Christians, this is like the basics, you know, this is what Jesus gave us, uh, as the basics. So I'm going to ask you this question after a couple months of being in closer proximity or just more frequently around your neighbors, how would you rate yourself on a scale of one to 10 as a neighbor, 10 being, I am the world's greatest neighbor. Uh, and one being, you know what, as a neighbor, I'm, I'm a little bit of a waste of human flesh. Like I'm just not good at this neighboring thing. And what factors like instantly go into how you rate yourself. I probably rate myself like a six, maybe a six and a half. What factors go into that? Now, Start, it starts with, do I know my neighbors? Do I, do I know my neighbors' names? Like real basic. I'm going to talk about this in just a second. Most of us aren't, statistically, people are not good at that. <laughs> Most of us don't know our neighbors' names in our day and age. Uh, do I stop to talk to my neighbors? When I stop to talk to my neighbors, do I have anything of substance to talk to my neighbors about? Because I've talked to my neighbors, so I know my neighbors a little bit. Have my neighbors been in my house or have I been in my neighbor's houses? Is there a neighbor that has a key that I've trusted with a key to my house? Uh, Do I count on my neighbors and can my neighbors count on me? Uh, And and finally, are, are they more than neighbors? Like, are they actual friends? Have they moved from neighbor to friend? Those are all questions that come to my mind when I evaluate, uh, how am I as a neighbor? How are you as a neighbor? And you realize you've got a standard for being a neighbor, but it's, it's unspoken and it's kind of a vague standard. How would you rate your neighbors as neighbors? Do you have a couple neighbors? You think, man, those are killer neighbors. Like I wish I were a neighbor, like my neighbor is a neighbor to me. How would you rate us generally as a culture in neighboring. I would actually love a response to this. If you have my, my, if you can text me, text me and let me know how you think we are doing as a culture at neighboring or how you were doing, um, as an individual at neighboring. And I'll try and get to that in a few minutes as I'm going through this, the guys that put this material together initially were a group of pastors in Arvada, California or Colorado. I, I don't have any idea where that is. They got 25 pastors together and they went to the mayor of their city and had a meeting and said, Hey, how could we as churches group together and do some things that would be of benefit to you as the mayor of our city? We want to bless our city. And so they talked through, you know, just the dynamics of their city and some needs and some programs and all this stuff. And at the end of their meeting, the mayor of the city said, you know what? Just like a throwaway comment said, you know, probably the best thing you guys could do is start a neighboring movement, like a a movement where people are better neighbors. Because if people just cared for the people that lived closest to them, then we probably wouldn't need to put together all these government programs because people's needs would be taken care of. And then the mayor, without knowing it, like dropped the mic and walked out of the room and left these 25 pastors in the room looking at each other like the mayor of our city just told us 
If we would only do the basic thing that Jesus told us to do, then we would be doing pretty good. And I don't know if you feel that. If, if you are a follower of Jesus, uh, you should feel that as much as I do as a pastor of a church. Of like, shoot, right. If only we did the basic stuff, then we would be doing okay. Because Jesus is a genius and we're not that bright. And so that's really where this came from is a back to the basics. What does it mean to love your neighbor? And we're going to spend a few weeks talking about that. And that really starts with, you can't love your neighbor if you don't know your neighbor. You can't love your neighbor if you don't know your neighbor. So here's that story from Luke chapter 10, where Jesus gives us what's known as the great commandment. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So as a Jewish leader, Jesus is a Jewish rabbi to them. And and so he's testing them out. And what they want to know is what does it mean for us to follow the law? Because their standing before God was determined by how well they followed the Old Testament law. That was the path to righteousness, to being right before God, was following that Old Testament law. Now, for us as Christians, the path to righteousness isn't isn't based on our ability to follow God's law. It's based on Christ's ability to follow God's law because we— proved ourselves over hundreds of years and over whatever years we have of incapable of following God's law because of our sin problem. And Jesus fixed that problem for us uh, with dying on the cross and rising from the dead. So our hope is not in our ability to follow the law, but in Christ's ability to follow the law. But they're just, they're not, that hadn't happened. They're just like trying to figure out what does it mean to follow the law? It's a sincere question, but he follows up Um, he follows up that interaction with this, this, the lawyer desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, uh, who is my neighbor? So that's an interesting follow-up question. Um, in part, because he's going to ask about the second part, you know, love Lord, your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul, love your neighbor as yourself. And so he asks about the second part, which kind of implies that he thinks he has loving the Lord, your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and stuff. And, and, um, whatever, down, and like he doesn't need to work on that anymore, which is confident, you know. Uh, But he goes to the neighbor, and it says clearly he's trying to justify himself. He's trying to figure out who his who his neighbor is, who this person is that he has to love. What's the, you know, what's the bar? Uh, What's the cutoff? And even though, you know, I, as a follower of Jesus, my righteousness isn't based on my ability to follow law in Jesus, but on Jesus' ability to follow law, I still want to know, like, Jesus said, go make disciples of all the nations and teach them, baptize them in my name and teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. Um, And so we're still like trying to follow Jesus. And when he sums up the law saying, love God and love your neighbor, I still like I'm trying to love God and love my neighbor. And I want to know what it means to love my neighbor. Uh, And and I instantly, my knee jerk is to try and justify myself with this love your neighbor commandment with like, well, I mean, I'm, I'm really busy and I've got a lot of things to do and I don't spend much time around my neighbors and they're not there very often. And, um, and I've tried to talk to them and, and you do this too. Like we try and justify ourselves and they're kind of weird or I'm kind of weird and they don't want to talk, you know, whatever it is, we try and justify ourselves. So we're not so different than, than this guy, you know? And so Jesus says to him, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among the robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road 
And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where the man was. And when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went to him. He bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. Here's the first thing I want to say about how, what that teaches us about being a neighbor, is that neighbor can mean more than the person who lives next to you, but it cannot mean less than the person who lives next to you. And I speak this particularly into our desire to justify ourselves because if you've been in church for a hot minute, you've heard this story preached before. I preached it before, but not the way I'm going to speak into it today. The story, when Jesus tells it, is really meant to expand their idea of who their neighbor is. The Jewish society was a really insular society. Um, they, they loved the Jewish people, but they were pretty racist towards anybody that was outside of the Jewish culture, particularly Samaritans. Samaritans were like their arch enemy. You go back in the history of things, and the Samaritans were a mix of Jewish people and Assyrians when the Assyrians took them over during the exile. So to the, to the Jewish people, Samaritans are literally half-bred Jewish people. I mean, they look on them with great disdain. And so Jesus goes at really the person that is most other to them and, so, and to stretch their idea of what a neighbor is. And so your neighbor is not just the person that's like you, but your neighbor is particularly the person that is not like you. Uh, the story ends up, you know, becoming kind of a be as good as the one that you hate because that guy's better at being a neighbor than you are at being a neighbor. And in answering a question, do I have to, do I have to love people that I don't even like? And Jesus is saying, yes. And so because of that, we read the story as it's the person out there beyond the person right next to us, because the person next to us is obviously our neighbor, but we're not so sure about the person that's out there. Um, and, and that's not even the case because the person next to you can be a very other person. And statistically, most of us, I read, I read um, an article, a Pew Research study this week about neighbors. And it was really interesting because it said only 25%, only 25% of the people think that their neighbors hold the same political views as they do. Which is statistically, I think, impossible. But just shows that we all think the person next to us is different than us. Like we're living next to the other that Jesus is talking about. And yet we will so often neglect loving the person that's right next to us. And you can't. Neighbor can mean something more than the person next to you, but it can't mean anything less. The word actually uh, comes from a Greek word, plesios, which means nearby. It literally means the one who is nearby. <laughs> it can mean the guy out there, but it's got to mean the guy right here. And so we can think, well, we're loving our neighbor. We're loving our global neighbors. We do some stuff in Nicaragua, you know, and and, and it's, sometimes it's easier to love the person out there because you don't see them all the time and you're not constantly reminded of it and you can check it off the list when the person right there is right there and it's all the time. And so the, the bar is a little bit higher and it's a little bit harder. These, um, these guys in the story, years ago I read this, that the, the priest in the Levite that passed by the guy that's been beaten up and left, left for dead, they were, they were on their way to or from work. 
And so that road goes from Jericho to Jerusalem. It was a, a renowned road. This actually happened on that road. It's got a lot of switchbacks. You could get jumped on that road, and people did frequently. And so a priest and a Levite would be going to perform their service in the temple. They'd be going to work, or they'd be going back from work to Jericho. And so they're, they're just like us. They're, they're too busy coming home from work or going to work to take time to love their neighbor. Home and work for most of us is like 95% of our life is dominated by our work or our home. And when we're at home, we're still at work. And when we're at work, we're still bothered by things at home. And so we don't, we just don't feel like we have a lot of margin uh, for stuff in between there. And so like these guys frequently for us, for me, it's like you pull into your driveway and you see the neighbor across the street or over the way and you're just a little bit afraid to talk to them because you're not sure what you're going to talk about and you're not sure how long you're going to have to talk to them. And you're probably late from work. And so somebody in the house is a little bit mad at you already and your kids want to see you. And so we justify not talking to them. Like it's, we're just not that different. I had a, I had a neighbor, um, he, he passed on a few years ago. We moved into this house eight years ago and the, the folks next to us, their, um, her, her dad, who's in his eighties was living with them, Clyde. He was living with his daughter and his son-in-law. And so Cl- Clyde was out a lot. And, um, Clyde was an African-American man who grew up here in this area his entire life. And so he grew up in the Jim Crow South and we would talk a lot and he would frequently use this line with me. He'd, he'd get done telling a story and then he'd say, he'd look at me and say, you know what I mean. And he'd say it just like that. I'm like, Clyde, I have no idea what, I am the last person who knows what you mean. I'm like a white man that grew up in the North and you were a black man that grew up in the Jim Crow South. I don't have any idea what you mean. And I loved listening to his stories. But Clyde, Clyde would talk your ear off, man. Clyde had three great loves in his life. Jesus, his wife, Catherine, who had passed on a few years earlier, and the United States Marine Corps. And he would talk about any one of those things. He was a Montford Marine who was like the first black combat battalion trained at Montford Point down on the coast someplace for World War II. And Clyde was one of those guys. I love talking to Clyde. Clyde talked, Clyde talked real slow. And Clyde had all the time in the world to talk. And you, he was a Walmart greeter. He was a part-time Walmart greeter. That was the guy. It was... It was hard because I felt like if I started talking to Clyde, I didn't know when I was going to end talking to Clyde. And that's how a, a lot of us feel about our neighbors. <laughs> and, and again, we're just not so different than, than this guy. And it keeps us, it just keeps us from engaging. One of the exercises uh, that we're going to do as a part of this series, and you're going to do it today, and I'm going to remind you at the end of this, is this neighborhood block map. This is so basic, you guys. It's a neighborhood block map where you should be seeing this, where there's you in the middle, and it's like a tic-tac-toe board with the eight neighbors that are closest to you. And they just want to know, do you know the names of the people that are in the eight houses closest to you? Like, step one is, do you know their names? And statistically, we are really bad about this. One thing I read this week said a quarter of people, only a quarter of people say they know most or all of their neighbors. The guys that put this stuff together, I was listening to a talk that he gave um, to a church and he's, he's asking them, how many of you can fill out all eight and raise your hand? And as he's doing that, he says, it's about 10% of the audience. And he said that that's probably the best number that he's gotten in all the churches that he's talking to talk to. So if, if you do not know all the names of your neighbors, 
I don't want to tell you to not feel bad because we should probably feel bad about that, but don't feel that bad. You're not alone. I mean, for a lot of us, this has not been the priority it needs to be, and it's difficult. The second step on that is, do you know general information about them? You know, do you know where they're from? Do you know about their, you know, basic family demographics? Do you know what they do for a living? Have you had that type of conversation? And level three is, do you know in-depth information about them? Do you have a sense of what makes them tick, like what they love, you know, what they love doing, what motivates them? Do you know what their goals are, like what their plan is for their life? Do you know what their spiritual beliefs are? And that's the goal is just to know the people around you because the first step in loving your neighbor is getting to know your neighbor. Uh, And so that's part of what we're going to be doing in this series. Now, my second point this morning is if we look closely enough, we're going to see that everyone around us has needs. If we look close enough, just like in the story, we're going to see that everyone around us has needs. And we know that because every one of us has needs. <laughs> we're not so different than our neighbors. The biggest of which is Jesus, you know, and, and we have Jesus. And so we met that need, but we have other needs and we're each a bit of a mess because we're people. And so we want our marriage to be a little bit better. And we wish our job was more exciting or our boss wasn't such a jerk or we had more money or we did a better job with the money that we do have. And we worry about the future for our kids. Like we're just people like every other person. And so we've got things that we're working on and they have things that they're working on. Uh, the difference is that we're looking to Jesus to figure out how to work on those things. And we're looking to Jesus to meet those needs and to really trust him and to follow what he says about life and to live that out. Um, but, but, but the needs aren't all that different. You look at the language in this, and, and so I'm going to read from that verse. A Samaritan, it says, as he journeyed, came to where the man was, and when he saw the man, he had compassion for the man. And then he went to him and bound up his wounds and poured on oil and, oil and wine. Uh, as he journeyed, as he journeyed in the course of his life, he let himself be interrupted. As he journeyed, he came to the man. He saw the man. This stuff is convicting to me. He saw the man. Do we see the people right around us? Uh, he had compassion for the man. Like he cared about the people that were right around him. He went to the man And then he met the needs of the man. He didn't, he didn't have to look super close to this guy because the guy was beat up and left for dead. You know, it was quite obvious that he was in need. Honestly, you probably have some neighbors like that, uh, that you don't have to look real close at to figure out what their needs are. There is a guy that lives behind me. And, um, this is a guy that I've thought a handful of times. This is the one I'm probably the worst neighbor to because he needs the most neighboring And I thought I could get to heaven and Jesus could be like, hey, what did you not understand about that love your neighbor thing? Because I put you, I put you right next to this guy that has needs thinking you are a pastor and you would help this guy out and you haven't done a whole lot. This guy is older guy. Um, He is probably in his sixties or maybe seventies now. He was in Vietnam. He was exposed to Agent Orange. He is not all there mentally, um, and he lives alone. His wife passed on years ago. He has three kids that live in other parts of the country. I have never seen them, and he has kind of a scary dog, and he's a pretty nice guy, and I just don't feel like we've neighbored well to him. We have with other folks, you know, we've gotten to know him and got to neighbor him, but like some folks, it's not hard to see what the needs are um, because they're right there. With other folks, 
it's hard to figure out what the needs are. When I do that block map, I live in a cul-de-sac and we're right at the, the head of it. So I, I know everybody on my cul-de-sac, um, but, but the people closest to me, I realize there are some of them I don't know. Now, one of them, they speak, they don't, they speak Vietnamese, I think. They don't speak English. So I've tried to get to know them and I, I can't because I don't know Vietnamese. I'm not going to learn Vietnamese. So I don't know what we do about that. And the other one, um, I, I don't know really well, but I know most of them really well, but I still don't, I can't tell you that I know them well enough to know what their needs are that they need Jesus for, you know, um, even as well as I do. There, there's a level that I'm not at. That takes, that takes some time and that takes some patience and that takes some effort to, to figure that out. I, um, well, you gotta, you gotta become close and you gotta win trust and to win trust, you're going to have to trust, you know, to get folks to be vulnerable. A lot of times you're going to have to be vulnerable for them to open up about what's really going on. Like people are going to have to move from being neighbors to being friends. And, um, you know, the fact that we don't for me is something that's worth repenting of. Uh, these are people that God has made in his image that God loves that God has put right next to us. And, um, and we might not know anything about them. Like I like this series. We're doing this series because that kind of leaves us bare of like, really? And, and we need to engage that and take some action. It may take years for you to see what's really going on in the lives of the people around you. Some of them you may never find out. And maybe that's not your job, but some of them you will. And the good news is you've got plenty of time because you're near them every single day. You're within like, you know, 50 yards of them and you have lots of chances to get to know them, but you're going to have to be patient and you're going to have to slow down. And it's a, it's a commitment. And this is really my last point about this this morning, that loving your neighbor well is going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something. And so this uh, Samaritan that took the time to care for this guy and was a good neighbor to him, it cost him time. You know, he he, as he journeyed, he stopped his journey and moved aside. And then he decided to change his future plans so that he could care for this guy the way that the guy needed to be cared for. It cost him money. Obviously, he took him to an inn and said, hey, whatever he needs. And then he rearranged his future schedule to come back and to check in on him. And, and he never had a conversation with him that we know of, you know. I mean, he's just a great example of what it is to care for him. Uh, you, have to, you have to trust God in order to commit to loving your neighbors well, because you don't know what it's going to mean for you. Um, but God does know what it's going to mean for you. And I hope you get that. You have to trust that if you obey in this area, he's not going to overwhelm your life because even with eight neighbors, it seems like that could quickly overwhelm your life. If there were real significant needs that God engaged you in, you know, and so you have to trust him with that. There is a passage in Acts chapter 17 and it's one of my favorite New Testament passages. Paul is in Greece and he's in Athens for a period of time. And so Paul's always moving to these new cities. And so really he's like got new neighbors and he's trying to figure out what makes them tick and how to communicate the gospel to them. And uh, in this particular passage, he goes to the Areopagus. They bring him, he meets some folks and starts talking. And he goes to this place called the Areopagus. And Athens is like the center of Greek thought. And so they just talk about ideas. And he talks to them about his faith in Jesus. And he talks to them in a really different way than he talks to Jewish people. Because these neighbors are different neighbors. And so he, 
he doesn't change the message, but he does adjust the message so that uh, they can understand it. And it's, I mean, it's neat in, in t- context of this passage too. But one of the things that he says s- sticks out to me about neighboring. He says, God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, living, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place so that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us. So God put us where he wanted us to be and put people around us that they might seek God. And it really speaks into the neighboring thing. God's put us right where he wants us to be. God knows your neighbors and he has put your neighbors there. I've thought about this, you know, in times past that when you buy a house, um, your neighbors is, is like one, you can control a lot of things about that. You, you don't, you can't control your neighbors. You don't even try to. So you look at a house and you know, location, location, location. That's probably if you go on the MLS, you go on one of those realtor websites and you, you map out, you pick a map and then you got houses and then you, you limit the, your price range and the number of rooms and the square footage. And then you go through the house and you're, you're looking at different than you want to know what the yard is like. There's a bunch of factors that you can control. You know, we looked at the house that we're in and we got a great deal as a foreclosure. My neighbors are still mad at me for what we paid for this house. And Fannie Mae, it was so bad that Fannie Mae came through and like repainted the house and put carpet in it. And so it was like a, it was like a brand new dated house when we moved into it. And so we're looking at it and, um, and, and we're going through the master bedroom and then the, there's a big bathroom. We never had a big bathroom. And then these big closets, I'm like, oh man, we could have big closets and the house is shaped so that when you, um, when you're trying to get upstairs, there's there are two half stairs and then there's a landing and then there's the stairs that goes up and then upstairs, there's a Jack and Jill bathroom between two bedrooms. So you can go all the way around in a circle and instantly you're like Nerf Wars would be incredible in this house and our kids are going to love this house. And so those are the things that you think about. You really want to know about your neighbors because your neighbors are really going to matter, but you really can't control, you really can't control your neighbors. You know, um, some of you are really going through it with your neighbors right now (laughs) and, and your neighbors really matter, but you can't, you can't control that when you move in. And this verse speaks into this because God can control it. And God has put you around the people that God wants you to be around and he is sovereign over that process. And so you can trust that he knows what he's doing when he does it, you know? Uh, and that should give you some comfort because I'm asking you to make a commitment over the next few weeks to really engage this process of neighboring and, and loving your neighbor, um, in the way that Christ has told us to better than we have been doing it. I'm going to show you a video uh, now, this is Weston, one of our home group leaders. Uh, our, a few handful of our home groups are going to be going through this Art of Neighboring series. Um, like I said, it's been around for a few years. So right now, media has a four-week Art of Neighboring curriculum all set up with some videos associated with it. And one of our home groups found this a few, uh, like a month ago now or two months ago, before they knew we were doing it. And they just started doing it because it looked interesting. And they've had just a great results from it. So Here's a video of Weston talking about the impact that this has had on their home group. There's no audio.
Let me know. Okay, apparently you could get that if you can lip read. Um, but we have some live stream problems with our audio. So we will post that video on our website for you um, to listen. They, it's been a great experience for them. And that's part of the reason that we're going to be doing it as home groups. I mean, he's got stories on there of people that just, it's just the common stuff. Like they walk around their neighborhood a lot and there's this one person that they see and they make eye contact with, but they've never really talked to. And as a result of the series, they've talked to them and they've just started making relationships. It's the push that they needed um, to be the neighbors that God wants them to be. And so take some time. We'll, again, we'll post that and, and send it out. And we'd love for you to listen to that uh, as we go forward with this. What I want you to do is just to start by taking these steps. Fill out that who is my neighbor worksheet. Get, the, get their names. Try and get their names. If you can, like, go through general information. What do you know about them? And then do you know the in, any in-depth information about them? You know, what their aspirations are, what matters to them, what their spiritual beliefs are. Pray for each of your neighbors by name today. Now, you're going to have a hard time praying by name for your neighbors. If you, you know, to the extent you can fill out the worksheet, you can pray by name for your neighbors. But you can pray by face for your neighbors and pray that God would help you to learn your neighbors' names over the next few weeks. Um, because, because that's a goal. That's your first goal is to get to know your neighbors' names. One of the guys that put the series to, together, he, he talked about how this is how we're, we're like, we do the wave first or eye contact and then it's a wave and you're like, Hey man, how you doing? Hey bro. And then he said, you need to get to the, if that's where you are and you've lived next to him for like five years, they probably are just embarrassed about that as you are. And so you need to say, Hey man, this is kind of embarrassing, but I don't remember your name. And so like, what was it again? And just re-engage that relationship. Um, you know, and so this is my third point. Just, just get started or depending on where you are with this, just don't quit. Just get started or just don't quit. And if you need to move from that, Hey bro point to, Hey, what's your name again? (laughs) They probably feel just as guilty as you do because there is an instinctive thing that we should be good neighbors to the people around us or just don't quit. Whatever that next tip is, take it. We, th- just this Christmas, for like six years, I've been saying, thinking, praying, we should have all our neighbors, we should be the one that organizes all our neighbors coming over for just a Christmas reception. And finally, this Christmas, I did it. I went door to door to my neighbors, who, who most of them I know, but got their email addresses. It got me in their home. It got me having these extended conversations with them. And then most of them came over for a Christmas thing, and it was fantastic. So wherever you are, don't quit. Take that next step. This is going to matter in this life and in the next. I mentioned earlier, this is what's referred to biblically as the great commandment is love God and love your neighbor. You know, that's what we talk about. The great commission is go and make disciples of all the nations, baptize them in my name and teaching them to obey uh, all that I've, all that I've taught you. Churches, sometimes we have a hard time balancing the great commandment and the great commission. We think one's more important than the other. So we'll just focus on the great uh, commission, but we won't do anything to love our neighbor or we'll love our neighbor, but we don't want to talk to him about Jesus. Cause that can be kind of awkward. These things are equally weighted. Like they both have to, to work together. They're like, they're like rails on a, uh, on a train track. You need both of them for the train to stay on. And if, if you love your neighbor, well, that's going to involve the great commission because the best thing you can do to love your neighbor is get them to trust in Jesus. Um, and if you're doing that, well, this is going to be easier because, you know, people don't care how much, you know, until they know how much you care. That's just true. And, and 
Jesus is a lover and he calls you to be like him and he wants you to love. So this is going to matter now in this life. It's going to matter. It's going to make it a better world now, but it's going to matter in the next life too. And last thing I want to encourage you to is to consider joining a home group during this series. There's a number of home groups. We'll get information out about this too. Um, a number of home groups that have been meeting during this that are going to be engaging in this series. Um, a few home groups are starting back and going to be engaging the series. And if you're not a part of a home group and just want to jump in and want some connection and want to do this, we'll put a list out there so that you can um, get in touch with someone and find out, you know, which home group would, would work with your schedule that you can be a part of this series. Father, thanks for, I'm thankful for this, um, this meeting that these pastors had with this mayor in um, Colorado 10 years ago or whenever it was. And uh, that you prompted the mayor to say, hey, if you guys would just, without saying it, do what Jesus told you to, that would make a big difference in our city. Um, Father, I pray for, for us to be transparent and honest before you in how we've done with this. And um, to the extent that we've fallen short and just loving our neighbor, the people that are near to us, the people that you have ordained that we be around, uh, we, we ask you to forgive us. We're thankful that you've forgiven us of our sins because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Um, and we ask God for opportunity, for insight, for courage, for patience. Um, we ask for your eyes to see the people around us and to see them anew, Lord. And I ask that you would do something big in and through our church and in and through your church in Raleigh during this time that would make a difference in our city, God. That when we love the people around us the way that you loved us, that it would matter, God. That it would really change things and that people would come to know you because of it. Father, we love you. We thank you that you were a God of second chances, that you never give up on us, Lord. And uh, we pray all these things in your name. Amen.